0: We are in a series on the book of James called Real Life Faith, in which we're talking about a real letter written by a real guy to people that had some real problems and were really just trying their best to follow Jesus. Uh, In the middle of this series, we've been looking at this particular issue that James 3 and a little bit of James 4 address, which is how on earth to get the church to get along? Because they had some issues, they didn't agree on things all the time, there was some bickering and some other problems, Uh, and like last week we talked about some people couldn't quite keep a lid on their own tongues. But it's interesting James's approach. He never blames your neighbor for the church's problems. James almost always has us look at ourselves first like if there's an issue around even if it is 98 percent someone else's fault James starts with hey we need to look in the mirror now if we actually like go about this we're like okay we need to actually look at ourselves first we need to think about this okay okay I need to look in the mirror right we tend to go selfie mode with that right well first of all if we can be convinced to not stare at other people's problems long enough to actually look at ourselves we tend to go selfie mode but then we're like okay where do I look the best? First of all, I need to make that look at me because that's more important. Uh, but then like, okay, like, and, you know, we raise the angle a bit. Like, you, know, you, stick, you ever notice you like stick your chin out when you do a selfie? It's like, I look skinny this way. Uh, but then it's great. you like, ooh, I got to get the background looking good. Uh, that looks like there's like, like, oh, look, there's people everywhere. Awesome. That, you know, what's great about new phones, by the way. Like, even after you take the picture, if I don't like part of the background, I can just make it look like you never existed. It's fantastic. And so you can put together the best, possible image of yourself. And then when you have to address James of like, okay, what do you actually look like? You're like, here's the best possible snapshot of a moment of my life. But James is like, no, no, let's look in an actual mirror because you can't lie to glass. Whatever you see in that mirror is just whoever you are. Whatever you actually behave like, whatever you actually look like, whatever's actually going on, that's what you're going to have to deal with. So James starts off with, we should look in the mirror. Well, let's pick this on up right where we left off last week in James chapter 3. He keeps going and says this, "'Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom.'" By the way, when James says wisdom, or like the wisdom from above, uh, which he's going to reference in a second, it's living the way of Jesus, right? So who actually, like, what does it actually mean? Like, so we're actually trying to show, like, oh, do we live the way of Jesus? And he's just like, look at whatever you just been up to. So picking up where we left off last week, did we sound like Jesus? Like these last seven days since we last got together and had a conversation like this, did we sound more like Jesus? Do we maybe hesitate a bit to make a joke at someone else's expense? Do we maybe like actually consider the things that we say and how we say them and why we said them? Like was there something in us that actually started to move to being more like Jesus? James does not leave us alone on this, but instead of just leaving the question out there, he gets more specific, starts with the negative, then goes to the positive, positive. So let's start looking at uh, the initial negative side that he points out. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil Practice. Be honest about your motives. Like for us, we need to be honest about why we want certain things. Like if we're salty, just admit it, right? If you're bitter and you're just like not having a good day, just be honest. About that, first of all, it doesn't do us any good to lie. Secondly, if we start with an honest point, then we can actually go forward. Uh, Actually, in the process of moving here, uh, I learned that Syracuse is called the salt city. And I had two things immediately come to mind. Either one, there's got to be a salt mine around here somewhere, or everyone's upset all of the time. But if you're salty, like emotionally, like admit it. That's where it starts. That's where we start working on things. And so it's that question of motive. So simply put, maybe just be willing to ask why. Because that's the motive question, right? Why does this make me upset? Why does this bother me? Why don't I want to go out and do anything? Why does so-and-so bother me so much that even when they talk, my blood pressure skyrockets? Why is that the case? Or maybe we can eventually get to be more proactive about this. Why do I want to buy this thing I know I can't afford? Why do I care what the neighbors I never talk to think about me? Why do I want to put on the best set of clothes I have for Sunday? Is it because I want to honor God and like I just feel like dressing up, feeling like looking good, like whatever? Or... Am I more concerned about what other people I've probably not met yet think of me? But why? Be willing to ask why. Now, we're going to spend the bulk of our time on the positive end of James' statements here because life is pretty difficult driving out of a rearview mirror, Like, there's certain things to avoid, sure, but also we need something to aim at, right? Without vision, people perish. Like, we need somewhere to go, otherwise it doesn't go well. But also, it's not like the Christian life is just like, okay, how do I avoid sinning today? No, no, it's how do we follow Jesus? Like, that's the point. So, let's give ourselves something to aim at. James is going to continue. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, okay, living the way of Jesus, the thing that we're aiming at, is first of all, pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is one of my favorite things. It's a biblical list. Now, how these tend to work is either the most important thing is at the top or the end. In this case, it's the beginning when it says, you know, Uh, This wisdom is, first of all, pure. So this is the point. These other six attributes, which we're going to cover all of, are all aiming at whatever this pure thing means. So what we're going to do as we start unpacking this list of seven beautiful things is we're going to define what it is, give a one-liner so that we can kind of get our heads more around it and maybe kind of remember it as we go through things and have something to work with, and then we'll just explore that. Cool? Cool. Okay, you you all nodded. I appreciate that. Sometimes it's nice to hear your voices, but it's okay. It is okay. But pure. This word uh, is not like uh, diamond is really fancy, kind of like pure. Uh, This word's related to that Old Testament delineation between clean and unclean, pure, not pure, uh, as in like things that were able to be used in the sanctuary or the temple or the tabernacle uh, for the worship of God. And So you could say that uh, pure means ready for worship or maybe a little bit more to the point, pure as in ready to be used by God. Now, if we took an honest look in the mirror at ourselves and said, okay, this pure, ready-to-be-used-by-God thing, does that actually describe me? Because it's the point of this whole James list of attributes that we're aiming at. The point is pure. So, okay, am I someone who's actually ready to be used by God? Now, yes or no is far too easy an answer, I think, because one, if we are maybe have more negative emotion than others, we're like, no, I'm terrible, I'm miserable, I'm a pit. Probably not true. Other times, we're like a little overconfident, we're like, yes, all the time, totally, 10 out of 10. The honest answer is probably sometimes. Other times, not so much, but sometimes, yeah. I mean, for us as a community here at Eastern Hills, I would also say, yeah, the answer is certainly not no. Like, us as a community of believers, like, there's definite times you can look around and go, wow, not only are we ready to be used by God, it happens. We send people. But I would also say for us as a church, and individually we all make up that church, I'd say a good answer is, you know, sometimes, yeah. So the question of today is not how do we actually maybe once in a while be ready to be used by God? It's how do we take sometimes to really often? And that's what the rest of this list is going to help us do. So, next item on the list, the first one of all these uh, attributes of what it means to be ready to be used by God, peace loving. Uh, This is not the absence of conflict. James is a good Jewish man. He is undoubtedly referring to the Hebrew idea of shalom, which we also translate peace in the Old Testament. Uh, but lack of conflict is a really bad definition for this word, peace. A better definition would be everything is as God intends it to be. If you are at odds with a member of your family, it is not an act of peace to avoid them. It is much more an act of peace to pick up the phone and deal with it. So our one-liner on this is just simply, pick up the phone. Something weird started happening in my family a couple of years ago. Uh, Our kids were all just... uh, we as kids, not my kids, they're three and one, they don't make plans, uh, but me and my siblings, we generally, like, around the holidays, we'll see each other, and so there's usually text chains uh, as far as, like, hey, who's doing what for this holiday, whatever, the normal family tension that you sort out around the holidays of who gets what time when, um, but I noticed all of a sudden, it's like, my wife is starting to get left off of all these text chains Hmm, that's weird. Uh, And I let the first one go because it's like, whatever, it's probably a fluke. Not a big deal. Uh, But it went on for like two or three months and like all these like came from my sister and I was like, huh, that's weird. And of course, still didn't address it. But in my head, you know how sometimes you catastrophize just the worst possible scenario. So in my head, also I'm like, I think my sister doesn't like my wife. I think that my sister hates Abby. I'm gonna call her and then I waited another couple of months because apparently I couldn't be bothered to actually address the situation, right? And so I finally picked up the phone. I was like, all right, here's the deal. Abby and I are a package. You don't get me without her. To it my sister responded, um, I don't hate your sister. Wife. Hmm. As it turns out, we had other things that we needed to talk about uh, on the phone. But as, it, but also like she didn't hate Abby. But of course, because I didn't actually pick up the phone and just like address something I thought was kind of weird, my brain went to weird places. But to be peace loving is to just pick up the phone and address whatever is going on—friend, family member, coworker, whatever. If we're going to be ready to be used by God, one of the ways that we actually make ourselves more ready for that is picking up the phone. Next on this list is considerate. Oh, this is a beautiful empathy word. And I'd put it this way. Don't just get it, understand. Uh, Brene Brown is a brilliant uh, psychologist and she does a lot of work with uh, guilt and shame, but then especially how do we deal with that and how do we avoid giving that to other people Uh, But one of the ways that she addresses the issues is through uh, studying empathy. And one of the things that she says is this. If your response to somebody in crisis begins with at least it is not empathetic. At least you have your health. At least you had savings to deal with that. At least you've got one kid that likes you. At least you can still pass, right? At least somebody was kind of listening. At least you're still alive. Empathy requires us to actually feel what the other person is going through. Or at least make the space where we can actually understand, Be okay, I maybe not be there myself. I maybe don't feel this as extremely as you do, but I understand what's actually going on, right? It's very rare that we actually need to move that quickly past somebody we're having a conversation with. But also, like, we've all been in a situation where someone else tells us, whoop, someone else tells us, like, look, 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 I get it, but, like, I got to go do another thing. Or, like, yeah, I get it, but we're doing this. Or, like, like, yeah, okay, you've got a problem. Like, I get it, but we're going over here, Right? That's never great anyway, but actually take the effort to understand. It means we're going to have to listen a bit more, ask good questions, but just take the time to understand. Next item on our list is submissive. Anyone else just feel their blood pressure go up a little bit? Just me? Okay. Uh, So, this is not actually the normal biblical word for submissive, by the way. Uh, So, in next week's uh, reading that we're going to cover, it's like, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Right? That's the normal biblical word for submissive. Uh, This is not, though. Uh, By the way, New Testament, originally written in Greek, then translated into English. This word only shows up once in the entire Bible. And It's kind of weird to translate, but probably the best definition I could give you is easily persuaded. Not usually something you associate uh, with Christians, because we have some things that we refuse to budge on. But I'd put it this way, if it doesn't matter, let your mind change. Like, if we are talking about something besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ or something equally on that level of importance, it's okay to actually have your mind change about things, right? There's, it's a key part, right, because it's easily persuaded, not just gullible. Gullible is they said something, I just went along with it, right? But easily persuaded as in we're easy to have that conversation with, right? Persuaded as in the argument put before us was actually persuasive, Uh, It wasn't just like a slogan that we slammed at each other, but like actually hearing out an argument, understanding the why, figuring that out, listening to the logical rationale one way or another, whatever's going on, and whichever option's better, just go with that. But even on issues that we as Christians refuse to budge on, it's still useful to know why other people think what they do. We have a whole study called apologetics, which is how to actually understand other people's worldview and then put a Christian worldview out for them to decide on, right? Have a meaningful conversation. Just because someone disagrees with you is not a reason to ignore them. Just because someone takes a different angle on something, it's fine. Have a conversation. Make a friend. Have some coffee, if our initial reaction is to somebody who disagrees with us is to just throw a slogan at them, we should probably just not have said anything and just listen to their point. But if it doesn't matter, let your mind change. Because first of all, you'll have less conflict with other people that way. James's audience needed to hear that one. But also for us, this will make us more ready to be used by God more often. full of mercy and good fruit. That's kind of a twofer because James is associating these things together. What I'd say on this one is this, like mercy isn't mechanical. Like there is something uniquely human about the capacity to show mercy. Right? You ain't seen an antelope and a lion experiencing mercy together. Water has no mercy on the ground it falls on. Yet, people, we have this unique capacity to actually be kind to one another and actually show mercy, even if it's not deserved. It's like one of those interesting thumbprints of God in humanity right because as we've read in our catechism the last couple of weeks we were actually created by god and like one of those things that's constantly said about him in scripture is like the lord the lord a god gracious and merciful full of unending covenant loyalty and love like merciful like somehow when god made us he stuck that in the programming and so when we decide to show mercy to other people in some way we're actually being more human but it's not mechanical it's not a robotic thing like you you actually have to intentionally decide on that but that makes us closer to god than we might think it does these last two are just been, they've been messing with me all week as I've been working on this, but also this one in particular, Impartial. Uh, When I read that, I was like, oh, I am ready for this. Because this sounds like James chapter 2, right? Don't show favoritism. I was like, I got a whole speech. I was loading the cannon. I was like, here we go. This is going to be incredible. And then I did the research, and as it turns out, it has nothing to do with James chapter 2. So I had to pack that away. Um, But as is the case, uh, our standard is like whatever's In the Bible, we actually have to work with, and not my own clever ideas, what I think is clever. Um, So we're going to go this direction. So this impartial word, um, a better understanding of it, it's not related to favoritism. Uh, It's undivided or without uncertainty. I put it to you like this. Decide while your feet are on the ground. One of my first jobs was at a Christian summer camp where I was support staff. I was not a counselor because I am just not that good with kids. Uh, I'm a little better now, but like overall still not that good with kids. And so I was support staff. And so like we would run events for the different groups that would come. We'd fix things if they got broken. And one of the things that I would do is I ran the zip line. Uh, I was the last guy you would see before you dove 40 feet off to what you hoped was not your death. That was my job. And so I remember distinctly what my boss would do with every single guest group that came. He would get all of us staff together. Uh, he would get all of the like, kids that were thinking about going down the zip line together as well as like, their counselors and everybody. So we'd all be in this huge circle in the pit uh, before anyone got harnessed up. And he would say this, Decide while your feet are on the ground if you are going to go down this zip line. If you wait until you are up there, this is not going to go well. The emotions are going to get very, very high, but also you have to climb an enormous sand dune and then go across a rickety rope bridge that gets higher and higher and more scary, uh, and then you actually get to the platform, which it is 40 feet in the air. If you wait until that moment to decide if you're going to go off this zipline, you will freeze, be stuck there for 20 minutes, and we can't actually help you all that much. But if you choose while your feet are on the ground whether or not you're going down this zipline, Up there will be easy. Decide while your feet are on the ground if you're going to follow Jesus. Before the bad news comes, make that choice. Before the tragedy hits. Before the doctor's report comes back. Before you're at odds with someone you care about. Before you're out in public and somebody makes fun of you for the things that you believe, decide while it's calm, and you have a spare moment to process, decide whether or not you follow Jesus. If you wait until the emotions skyrocket, there's no telling what's going to happen if you wait until you are in crisis to decide whether or not you follow Jesus and just how much of your life you're willing to give him, none of us have any idea how you're going to do with that. But choose while your feet are on the ground. This last one, sincere, This is a loan word from the art department, uh, but essentially it's in reference to actors. But what they're saying is uh, not playing a part, as in you're genuinely yourself, as in like top to bottom, you know what you do, what you say, and how you feel is consistent, sincere, genuine. And so I'd leave it here. Be honest with yourself. Even if you don't like what you find, what is the starting point for you when you pick up this personal size mirror and have to stare yourself in the eyes in the morning? But look at it longer than is comfortable. Get past the, like, did I do my hair properly today? Is it looking good or something out of place? Like, get past that and actually be honest with yourself where you're at. Am I ready to be used by God? There's somebody I need to call. Why am I the way that I am? Like, what's the deal with that? Have I actually made the decision of how I'm going to live my life? What's in the center of that determining sphere? Like, if I were going to identify myself as one thing, would Christian be the one thing? But look into that mirror. And allow yourself the space to be honest. First of all, you have to be honest. Like, you, first of all, lying to yourself is one of the more particular, just confusing things about life because it doesn't—it's not like it helps us or anybody else. But be honest about where you're finding, because then you can actually go a better direction. If you start with the truth, then you can actually work your way forward. But because we're Christians, and if we are people who have decided that, yeah. I follow Jesus, then we do have to pick up the phone from time to time. We actually have to spend more time with people as they're going through something saying, okay, how do I actually understand this? Because we follow Jesus, we have to be people that actually choose to show mercy because that's just who he is and following Jesus is doing what Jesus would do if he were wearing our shoes. We actually have to engage like that. And I know this is not an easy process. It's not easy for any of us. But just imagine what the future would look like for a second if we all did this process honestly. Jesus changed the world with 11 guys. Can you imagine what he could do with a few hundred people in Syracuse that were totally sold out to him? Imagine how different the city of Syracuse would be if all the Christians there decided, you know what? We're going to do this one like Jesus. Imagine what FM would be like if everybody decided, you know what? We're going to make the effort to be a little bit more like Jesus today. What would happen in JD and Kaz, Cicero, and all the other suburbs? I'm still learning their names. Imagine what the place would be like if all several hundred of us that call Eastern Hills home were actually all in for Jesus? That changes everything. That doesn't necessarily make life easy, but it makes it more meaningful and better, unequivocally better. But also, what if like everything in our reputation as Eastern Hills Bible Church What if the first thing that even occurred to a non Christian that's barely heard of us was, like, yeah, they care about Jesus over there? But imagine what our collective future would be. But it all starts with a simple, longer than comfortable look in the mirror. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for another opportunity to to read some of your Bible. To be held accountable to it. To be able to explore ourselves through it. Give us the, the space that we need to be honest with ourselves. And give us the hope that it can actually get better. The hope that you just Give to people, God, we ask for some more of that so that we can actually have the courage to to begin to change small things at a time about us. God, we're thankful for the Spirit that actually makes this all possible. We're thankful that we were created in your image and that every single other human being on this planet was. God, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Help us see clearly what it means to live the way of Jesus today. Help us understand for ourselves what is best. Help us understand through the lens of you and your word and your way what the next right step is for us. And God, this week, as we intentionally take time, to just be honest. Send us the friends we need to help us get to the next place we need to be. Send us the encouragement we need in order to make it through each day. And God, help us in this process turn sometimes being ready to be used by you into more and more and more often. God, we love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.